Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Alright, sounds good. Just wait a minute. I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a refreshment since I'm uh, off the clock. A refreshing beverage? I'm making a refreshing beverage. NA no, no. Heavily, Very A. Or, or heavily A. <laughs> capital. Capital A. This has got the heavy A in it. <laughs> it's, it's a, have you ever heard of Jim Beam Red, Red Stag? Uh, no. For Jim Beam. Yeah, it's just Jim Beam uh, Black Cherry Whiskey. Like a Black uh, Cherry flavored whiskey. Yeah. You know, stuff for girls. Uh, yes, pretty much. I'm not really into the flavored whiskeys. So I'm doing that and Fresca. I mean, it probably doesn't suck, actually. It, it's pretty good. Like, I feel like uh, I feel like a girl would drink it, which means it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> which means it's the type of beverage I like. Uh, <laughs> it's like an umbrella would feel right at home in that glass. A little umbrella, a little chunk of some fruit, maybe a couple fruits, actually. Well, it's cherry. Would you, would you throw some maraschinos in there? You might. You know, maraschinos might go good in there. And maybe like a slice of uh, grapefruit for the fresca. Mm, a little, little more tart. Throw a little, a little tart uh, in there. A little uh, maraschino cherries, a little bit of uh, grapefruit. All right, this is and... getting really gay. Okay. <laughs> We're talking about a delicious alcoholic beverage, right? <laughs> Your alcohol doesn't need to taste like dirt for you to be a man. No, but it should. No, but it should. Have you noticed, um, did you, you've been recording this whole time? Yeah. We'll just start it right from that conversation. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors Waterfall Wednesday edition. Nick Johnson with Dale Lugan, Bill. We're back, baby. No more guest hosts. We're back for now. <laughs> Listen, I know I've, I've, I know how it gets during the spring snow goose season. Like it's like it's hard to it's hard to get content out because you're just guiding from literally before the sun comes up till after the sun goes down. And 
Yeah, but here's the thing. When you guided snow goose hunts, you sat in a permanent spread, you lucky bastard. True. (laughs) True story. (laughs) And I still worked the entire, all of the light and then some of the not light. I just didn't have to move spreads. Although sometimes um, somebody would want to make a move and we would have to work into the wee hours to move it. But it's definitely not an everyday thing for sure. Yeah, and we're just scouting just constantly, constant scouting. We're only doing half day hunts, so every spread gets set and then picked. And uh, we got about an inch of rain the other day, so everything's getting four wheelered in. Oh, gross! Uh, but uh, you're in Kansas, and so that it's a different, it's a different setup than I think most people that snow goose hunt would be used to, as far as like bird numbers, kind of the way you hunt them. Is that a wrong? Oh. Is that a, not a, a correct statement? No, it's it's a definite uh, correct sh- statement. It's really different from what I was expecting here. Uh, well, not from what I was expecting. I guess I didn't know what to expect for my first spring guiding in Kansas, but it's um, different from what I w- what I'm used to. Sure. Which which is like hunting uh, larger amounts of birds. You know, in a more concentrated area, like yeah, the Dakotas. high traffic area. Yeah. High traffic areas, you know, and um, here we have uh, much fewer birds, but we are hunting X fields every day and Does... just uh, chasing them down and running them around. And shit, man, some of these birds and you know how snow geese are. They fly sometimes 27, 35 miles to go feed. Yeah, they're those things are frustrating to. And there's not scout and there's not a shitload of them. You know, we're not a high traffic area, so you find them on the roost. You follow them 27 miles to the field, you get permission on the field, and then you pray they come back. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a long ways, baby, for them to be flying. Do they do that, or do you think they do that because uh, lack of roost availabilities? I mean, I, you, when I think Kansas, I don't – water does not is not the first thing that pops into my mind. Well, they are very dry here, and maybe it is just that um, – from the field they want to feed in to their roost, there just really isn't other roosts that are safe along the route. So it makes for a longer travel distance from their feed field to their to their roost, um, whereas maybe like in the Dakotas, they can find their feet, preferred feed field, and they don't have to fly that far quite to get back home. Yeah, I've seen plenty of times in the Dakotas where they literally get up, fly up and over the power lines of a road and put right down. So Right, right. And here it's, yeah, over 20 miles. It, that makes for some pretty crazy uh, scouts, man, honestly. It I just, mean, it's it's crazy how they can uh, – you can lose them. Like, oh, you yeah. Can just, you can lose, like, because they're kind of going out staggered. And so maybe I'm fl- following, like, a flock of 100 of them. And uh, next thing you know, like, I'm going south and west and south and west and south and west. And then all of a sudden they cut back east. And now I'm – now I'm struggling to keep up with them, you know? And then I've gone down a dead-end road. Yeah, I was a couple say, times. If, as and long then, as the roads <laughs> follow them, too, that's the other thing. It's like sometimes you have to and, drive two miles north just so you can start heading back west to get on them, and then you're like, oh, they're gone. Like, oh, dude, I know, yeah. And then you're, jump, then you're parking, shutting off your truck, listening for them, scanning the sky, scanning the horizons with your binoculars, like, God damn it, where did you go? <laughs> <laughs> They're already down in the field somewhere. You just didn't see them set down. 
Oh yeah, that could happen too. You know, that's why I'm shutting my truck off and I'm listening and, uh, yeah, that's different for me, you know, following these snow geese like that. And, uh, but we've had some good successful hunts, um, and some hunts that didn't go super great, but I don't think we've gotten skunked at all. I think maybe our low hunt is, uh, eight or nine birds. That's pretty good. That's yeah, man. I, th- I think the first year I started guiding for snow geese, it was like a super, super tough year. Like the juvie hatch was absolutely terrible and getting double digits was like a great day. Oh, like, sure. It was that season where it's like, you shot 15? Holy shit. It was like all adults. It was, that was a baptism by fire. That one, that was. And I've heard that a lot of like migrator spreads, like uh, the snow geese are obviously making it through the Mound City, Missouri area. Los Bluffs, I think it might've been four or five days ago now, posted that they had 2 million birds on the refuge. Nice. Um, I've heard that, uh, a lot of the permanent spreads around Missouri are doing really good so far. Tis the season. This right, pretty much right on time. Do you miss it? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. It'll be not not a ton though, huh? Um, I mean, not <laughs> enough to you know re pull up roots and <laughs> mix up my life again. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I could definitely see years down the line getting back into it. To, see how life pans out shakes out but i do i do miss it like i thought i was you know hell you're hunting every day i get to meet new people every pretty much every day that's that's always cool um you know when you explain people the the grind and not overuse that word but of you know like i said getting up and well before the sunlight and you don't get to bed till well after and just doing it every day people are like oh my god does that ever get old and like not really like no where else would I rather be? Like, like, wh- what's not to like about this? Like, be outside watching birds all day. It's, it's great. <laughs> it is, it is. And there's days that aren't great. Uh, like yesterday when I got hurt. Yeah. So, uh, Nick Jay's injured. Uh, how, injured. How, how does one get injured uh, snow goose hunting outside of being um. shot? <laughs> I was bending over into a layout blind. And I damn near poked my left eyeball out with a stick. Oh no! Like a stake or a stalk? Like what? Like a uh, like a stick? Like brushed in the blinds or what? Yeah, we, like what? a stick brushed in the blind. Oh, like we had a whole no. bunch of sticks over the blinds, and I bent over, and that motherfucker stabbed me. Ouch! Oh, dude, so deep. Like, and I was doing my safety speech when it happened. Of course. So I got everybody's attention. Like, everybody listen up. Here's what not to do in case you're curious. <laughs> and then so I'm going through my safety speech. I'm like, ah, oh God. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ended up making it through the haunt. And I, I've, had a, I've had a corneal abrasion before in my life where you poke your eye and your cornea gets scratched. And uh, it hurt a lot, and it uh, and it healed. I went to the doctor. This was like 15 years ago. I went to the doctor, and they're like, uh, you're going to be fine in like eight hours. I was like, what? That doesn't even make sense. Like, this hurts a lot. They're like, nope, your eyes heal really fast. Oh, that's good. And I didn't believe them, but that's what happened. Like, mm-hmm. eight, ten hours later, I was fine. So I kind of thought, all right, here's what I did. I scratched my eye uh, Got a corneal abrasion. 
I'm going to go to the doctor and, uh, or if I went to the doctor, he's going to say it's going to be healed in eight hours. So just sleep it off and you'll be fine. And then I took a nap and I woke up and my eye fucking killed. Do you got that thing where like, it's like the whole white of your eye is red or no? Yes. Oh, it looks so nasty. (laughs) Yeah. And so when I woke up from my nap and it didn't feel better and it felt much, much worse, I was like, fuck me. I went to urgent care and, um, the doctor before he even put the little fluorescent dye in your eye, he goes, Oh yeah. You cut that thing bad. <laughs> Thanks, <doc>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he put fluorescent dye in it, looked in it for like one second. And he's like, yep, you're going to need to see an eye specialist. Oh no. Yeah. I was like, fuck dude. He's like, that thing could definitely heal up weird. You could get some, uh, Anyways, they guys got to look in there and make sure there isn't any like remnant pieces of stick or something. Yeah, stick and bark or anyways. Yeah, shit. I'm on the fucking injury list and oh man, yeah, dude, it sucks. Anyways, well, that's allowing us to get an episode this week, so that's good. There's that allowing me to get a little bit drunk on red stick. (laughs) It's medication. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm using some medicinal whiskey. <laughs> <Some> Painkillers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, man. So uh, I've got some, like, regulatory news we could discuss. Yeah, and I also want to touch on that. Uh, well, go ahead, and we'll do that, and then I'll bring up what I was going to bring up. All right. So there's two pieces of regulatory news. Uh, one we've talked about in the past, one we haven't talked about in the past. The one we have talked about in the past is the Manitoba lottery licensing, which Dennis Anderson has a new article out. I can't believe I'm recommending people read a Dennis Anderson article. <laughs> I was going to ask, is this going to be a hit piece again? Or are we on? No, no, we're not doing another hit piece on Dennis Anderson. You know, of. Yeah, a broken clock is right twice twice a day, right? Yeah, well, yeah, he is yeah, definitely yeah. right on this. If you guys do not know, Manitoba is well on their way to implementing a license a license lottery, which will be the only the second location in the world. Well, not, I shouldn't say the world in the United States that I know of that does lottery licensing for non-resident waterfowl hunters. It'll be Manitoba and South Dakota. Um, this is a big deal if you like to smash Canada geese and you've ever dreamed of going to Manitoba to do it. Um, this is something that will make it more difficult and uh, it benefits the outfitters uh, tremendously that are up there, which I have nothing against outfitters. I think outfitters are a net good thing, but the government sh- still shouldn't be in the business of just kind of giving them fucking handouts, you know? I mean, they make uh, – it's not technically a monopoly because it's multiple outfitters, but it's like a monopoly of sorts as far as you are drastically controlling the industry. Like you're, right, you're, like, ta- oh, you're you taking didn't... a big swath of capitalism out of it. Well, yeah, it's like – you can put in for this lottery license, get win the lottery license, and then go hunting in Manitoba for seven days. That's how long your non-resident license is good for. However, if you either are trying to plan on a little bit of a short notice or if you are uh, didn't win that lottery, there are licenses available for you available only through the Manitoba licensed outfitters. Which, 
I think that's a little shitty, dude. Yeah, I, it creates an industry. So that's not that rare. Maybe it is for waterfowl, but like uh, I was just talking to a buddy about this today as far as gator hunting down in Florida. That's kind of like what they do. So I'm not even sure it's legal for a non-resident to just go get a you know, non-resident uh, alligator tag. But what you can if you're a guide or an outfitter is that you get like 10 tags that you can buy and then you can sell those to okay. non-residents. So, you know, it's like 1500 bucks for a alligator tag or whatever, whatever the thing might be. Um, I know it's similar to that. I think in like Alaska for doll sheep, it's similar to that. It's like the guides sell, like the guides get the tags and they can sell them to, to whoever they want. Yeah. So it, it, it does create an industry. I mean, it, it definitely supports your tax base. So I, I understand that from a, a government standpoint a little bit, but yeah, ultimately it just doesn't sit right with me. Cause it's like, mm. so I'm, like, in I'm the, American. I like freedom. In the Dennis Anderson article, there are some hyperlinks that um, go to like, I think ducks unlimited wrote a very like, stern i don't know if stern is the right word critical they, they wrote a very critical letter to manitoba about it and i read that and they made a bunch of really good points about how much money um not only ducks unlimited members are giving to manitoba but like how much the economy benefits from it and that sort of thing, which I thought they made some really good points in there, too. That's definitely worth a read. That's definitely a good point, too. That brings up a different point. You know, all the time, effort, and money that groups like Delta Waterfall and Ducks Unlimited are sticking into the habitat in Canada and Manitoba to then not necessarily be readily available to everyone especially if you're a, a member of said organizations, unless you're lucky enough to get drawn or you want to plop down the extra dough to buy it from an outfitter. Right. Um, if, if you're looking for the article, it's on the, it's in the Minneapolis star tribune. It's by Dennis Anderson and it's called blue collar hunters from Minnesota. The U S should watch Manitoba's moves carefully. You want me to read a little bit of it? Go for it. All right. Within a month or so, Manitoba will announce that, most Minnesota and other non-Canadian waterfowlers who wish to hunt in that province without a registered Manitoba guide must apply to a lottery for duck and for a duck or goose hunting license. Those who are awarded licenses will be limited to seven days of hunting. The number of licenses available in the lottery isn't known, though reports last fall said 1,300 would be awarded to non-Canadian, non-outfitted waterfowler hunter, hunters. The program is expected to begin this fall. Meanwhile, 1,200 Canadian licenses would be reserved for 60 Manitoba outfitters. Additionally, Americans who own property in Manitoba, it's unclear whether property means property or simply dump duck camps, will get one legacy license for themselves and four licenses for their buddies. The legacy licenses will be good for 21 days. So if you own property, you get a 21-day license? Hmm. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah, man, that's something. I Makes mean, me want to buy one acre up I'd be, there. <laughs> right, because I'd be super pissed if I owned property up there and I had to go off a lottery, you know? Like, what are you talking about? Right, which the plan, which in some form or fashion Saskatchewan is also exploring, is considering a, is considered a slap in the face to American honors, most of whom are Minnesotans 
who for nearly a decade, nearly a century, I'm sorry, have sent billions of dollars to Canada for wetland conservation, blah, 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 blah. And here is the Ducks Unlimited letter, which is in here. And yeah, it's all in this article. Hmm. And uh, check that out. You know, I just don't agree with non-resident lottery licensing for waterfowl hunters in general. I mean, it seems to be going okay for South Dakota. But I don't think South Dakota has... Only for the people who live in South Dakota, a.k.a. I'm not going to say it. True. Well, <laughs> <laughs> True, but I think it's different because I don't. South Dakota doesn't have that, that caveat of you can buy a license from a, an outfitter and still go. Right, and also... Which makes it just uh, a little they dirtier. Certainly aren't, they certainly aren't trying to advocate that their uh, pheasant hunting resources need to have a lot non-resident lottery license. Yeah, the, that, In fact, the, they're trying the money to, they uh, get from that's just fine. Yeah, the money they get from that's just fine. Matter of fact, they're, they have like PR companies hired to try to increase the amount of pheasant hunters they attract to South Dakota. Hmm. Well, the, the local duck hunting waterfall lobby must be... Pretty strong in the old SD. <laughs> I, I just think that it's a it's a natural urge that I think that 49 other states um, have done really good at resisting right. because um, it's like, hey, you know, what we should do keep other motherfuckers away from hunting around us. That is totally normal. Right. Well, that, that's, a, that's a totally normal emotion to have. But. I think that other states, all states except South Dakota, are doing a good job of being like, no, no. Why would we do that? We just are going to charge non-residents a little bit more money, and they can come here, and they can enjoy this migratory resource because we're not greedy pig fuckers like South Dakota. God damn it, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, greed is a natural human emotion for sure. I mean, I do understand the motivation understand behind it. it. Um, but I do think that they are, and maybe they don't care, but I do think they're missing out on some dollars. And it, it also, there's an issue with, they're not your birds. You know, I guess right. I, could, I could see. That's what I mean. Because, because they're migratory, uh, multi-country, uh, inter, they're international, I believe is the term for that. <laughs> um, you don't own the resource. So I guess it'd probably be one thing, you know, when it's like big game, deer, elk, something that for the most part, you know, unless you're on a border, stays within the confines of your state. So you could say your state owns that wildlife. That kind of makes sense to me. I may not be for that either, but at least it makes a little bit more sense. But when these birds are only in your territory for weeks at a time, some days, days at a time, like, where do you get off? <laughs> like, we're, yeah, we're getting a little bit sidetracked. I don't want to spill my guts on this for the next two hours because I definitely could. <laughs> okay, that's one piece of news. Let's get to my second piece of news, um, which is Wisconsin, the state in which I live, is talking about um, doing something. I don't know if how many other states do this, but they're talking about setting their waterfall regulations for half a decade at a time. Wow. Five years, huh? Yeah. I think they're doing it. They want to do it for at first from 2023 to 2025. So that would be three hunting seasons. 
and then they want to do 2026 to 2030, which hmm. is five hunting seasons. Which, interesting. And, and, yeah, and they want it here. Hold on. Let me see if I can't find that article. But I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to align it up to uh, where they're only going to switch waterfowl regulations um, on a five-year basis, which aligns with um, federal framework on how often they can switch zones. Hmm. Okay. So, like, you're only allowed to switch zones, like, uh, here, here's the article right here. Was the DNR will propose setting waterfall regulations for years at a time, and you'll have a chance to weigh in. The DNR will hold public meetings March 7th to March 9th on the proposed 2023 to 2025 waterfall migratory game bird seasons. Um when the DNR unveils the proposed 2023 to 2025 Wisconsin migratory bird hunting regulations in early March, most details will be very familiar for hunters. The season format, for example, will be 60 days and six ducks. They'll also be announcing a change for the first time. The agency is proposing to set waterfall hunting regulations for multiple years. The initial chapter will be 2023 to 2025. The next one would cover 2025 to 2030. Migratory bird season dates and structures don't often change on a year-to-year basis, said Taylor Finger, DNR game bird specialist, and the modified process offers several advantages. It, quote, it would create more consistency for hunters across seasons, Finger said Friday in a phone interview from Lafayette, Louisiana. It would also allow us to align our seasons with the five-year periods used by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for setting zones and our staff would be able to spend more time working on executing the waterfall plan and less on setting regulations. Finger was returning Friday from the Mississippi Flyway meeting held in Louisiana. The DNR's Migratory Game Bird Committee will meet Tuesday to formalize the details for the 2023 to 2025 season. So it sounds like this is for sure going to happen, and there is going to be some public meetings. And this is something that we've covered on the show uh, many times, which is, if you have an opportunity uh, that you ever hear about, if you live in Wisconsin, to put your input in on waterfowl seasons, that's something you definitely should do because um, very few people do, and they take those considerations uh, or those recommendations highly into their account for setting waterfowl regulations. So, hell, if you even convince a few buddies of yours to say one thing or the other, for example, maybe if you were to convince a bunch of people to uh, email the Wisconsin DNR about having a five goose limit instead of a three, please do that. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> might actually be able to, you might actually be able to make a difference. Right. Yeah. But it, but if they take, but if they're involved in it, then they just they can't complain when it doesn't go their way. And. and Yes, and if you don't ever <laughs> if you don't ever participate in um, public input surveys about waterfowl seasons, don't complain about it. Yeah, we well, you know that's not going to happen. They always complain no matter what happens. Uh, it's, I've never seen a more damned if you do, damned and you, if you don't scenario than the DNR has to put up with. Like no matter what they do, people we want a teal season. Oh, okay, they be, we better give them a teal season. Finally, give them a teal season. These stupid idiots, they shouldn't have a teal season. It's just like you know oh who said that God. too. Can we talk shit about Dennis Anderson? Sure. His fucking teal, his teal <laughs> season articles enraged the fuck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Uh, that was what maybe uh, 
Oh shit! Not more than fifteen or seventeen months ago, where you we know were. What, you know what you should try to do? Shit. Could be a really fun episode. Dig up those old um, DA articles where he, you know, Dennis Anderson. Yeah, yeah, where he's, you know, the sky is falling on the how stupid the teal season is or whatever, and then compare it to like waterfall numbers today. Or whatever he was, whatever his, like, whatever fears or worries he was peddling, like, we should be able to. And this is going to sound a little bit of confirmation bias, but it's not because I'm pretty confident that none of anyone's fears panned out. Uh, it would just be really cool to then just, like, here's what he said, here's what he said what would happen, and here's what didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> write, that, right? write that article, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I might have wrote Dennis like a very angry email myself at some point in my life. <laughs> some may say scathing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what did what did you want to get to? So I wanted to touch on what your thoughts are of the video I'm sure we've all seen of that oh, farmer God, disking up the decoys. <laughs> did you see they were selling a t-shirt for that? <laughs> no, really? Yes, there's a guy. There's I can't remember. It might be Falco. I don't I don't know. I don't know who's selling it, but somebody is selling a T-shirt of a coot in a tractor plowing up snow goose decoys, <laughs> and I think the coot is drinking. That's outstanding. It's so good, dude. <laughs> it is so good. Okay, here's my thoughts on this. Um, did that motherfucker break the law by plowing up all those decoys? Because I I feel like I'm like whoa. That guy just totally filmed himself committing a felony, possible, possibly felony. That's a lot of money worth of equipment that guy just destroyed and posted this social media. And we should probably explain a little better about what video we're talking about if we, if our listeners haven't seen it. Yeah, so there's a video going around. There's a, a farmer, and he's just, you know, at first, he almost makes it sound like, at least the video I saw, that he's, you know, he's being facetious, but at first you're like, is this guy serious? And he's headed right for these decoys. Now I think they're all full bodies. And he's like, man, these geese just won't get out of the way. And then, you know, you're like, is this guy this dumb? And then actually, you know, then it goes cut the next scene and he's making a turn and blah, blah, blah. And you see the people, uh, the hunters on the side of the road talking to the sheriff. The sheriff says he can't do anything about it. And this dude's just making paths, just disking up these decoys. And from what I understand, it was like uh, – uh, an issue with lease, like the farmer leases the land, and these hunters had leased the land, but the hunters didn't pay their lease or something. They owed money, something to that effect. And he, the farmer, had told them to get their shit out of there, and they didn't. So he took it upon himself to disc them under. So okay, if you're if you're looking for this video, you can find it on. There's two good places. On Facebook, there's a page called Snow Goose Migration 2.0, and it's all over that page. And then also, if you're on Instagram, there's a page called uh, Split Read, all one word, S-P-L-I-T-R-E-E-D. And you can find this video of a farmer. Um, there's two different shots. There's one shot from the hunter's perspective that are standing on the side of the road with the sheriff's department. And they can, they're watching this tractor with a disker go through their spread. And the sheriff, like, not doing anything about it. 
So there's that perspective. And then there's a second perspective that the farmer actually posted of him destroying their spread. Where he goes, <laughs> God damn, these geese won't get out of the way. I didn't think it was – it was not – serious in any way like this dude was out there to fucking ruin those oh guys yeah he was singing a song he was like singing along with the radio <laughs> just making turns and i think i and, saw uh, one clipper even says like oh this is what you get or something to that effect right so um this guy destroyed thousands of dollars worth of decoys and the internet obviously um believes that this guy was in the right because these people owed him money and they didn't pay it. And so he can just destroy tens of thousands of dollars worth of their gear. Yeah. Which I am like, uh, no, that's not how fucking the law works. Dale, if you parked your truck. That's, in right. my that's exactly tr- where I was going. But Yeah, if you parked your truck in my driveway overnight and I was like, who the fuck's truck is this? Anyways, I'm going to smash his windows and slash his tires. Um, that's not legal for me to do. Yeah, I, and I don't know that for a fact. I, I feel like this is is going to have to be settled in court for sure. And, you know, obviously it's up to them. I mean, that was a lot of money in decoys. You know, it doesn't yeah, take long to get to this... 20 grand of decoys. You know, what's that, 10 I mean, dozen here's... brand new full bodies? And all the shit I saw online. All the or shit. 30 dozen? Like, uh, it, was, it was a mixture of decoys. It was socks. It was full bodies. It mm-hmm. was all that. Um all the people commenting like, Oh, this person owed money. This person owed this, this person owed that. How much did they owe? What was the agreement? How late were they there? I don't know anything except for, I don't, I don't know. Anything is true except for what I saw in the video, which was somebody destroying somebody else's property. I commented like, this is a lose lose because this farmer now is going to have issues because, okay, he's, he's dissed up all this plastic and metal stakes have fun combining next fall when you get metal stakes caught up in your harvester blades, fucking everything up, poking your tires. At least these are the excuses that we hear from farmers who don't like hunters. It's one of the complaints that I've heard. It's like, oh, you go out there, I'm, you forget a stake, and I puncture my tire. That's why I don't allow people hunting here. It's like, has that ever actually happened? I mean, maybe once. It's, it seems like something that they like to repeat, but... He set himself up for that on a, an epic fashion. I'm not talking about one or two forgotten decoys out of 600. Like, every single stake is disked into that ground. That's going to be an issue for that farmer for seasons to come. Yep, and I just... I don't think it was I wise. Saw. I don't think it was wise on his, on his part. Uh, take the <laughs> legality out of it. I think it was like his emotions definitely got the better of him. Yeah, well, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if this farmer got in a shitload of trouble for doing that. And the internet, dude, the internet's gonna go crazy. Like, blah blah blah, blah. dude. All right, if you steal a hundred dollars from me, I can't murder you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. Internet justice is not real. Like, that guy had it coming. Okay. Shut up. (laughs) Exactly, shut up. Because if it was you, if it was your... You wouldn't have that opinion if they were your decoys. You would be defending your stance like, I I had the money, I told them I was going to give it to them Friday. Well, it doesn't matter. It's You said it was, you know, like... 
But because you're totally removed from the situation, you can take this stance and face zero consequences from it and the most internet thing to do ever. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, it really is. I mean, and I was actually taken aback by how many people were siding with the property owner. I mean, hunters. It's one thing, like, I would expect other farmers to do that. That seems to be the obvious choice. But when I see other people that, you know, look at their profiles, they're holding up a dead goose or whatever, like, I'm surprised more of them were like, oh, that's what you get. It's like, what? There's mostly people that just don't like people that lease land. You know, could be that thing, too. They might say, like, that guy owed me money, but maybe it was just like, that guy fucked my girlfriend. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we don't know. Right. So, like I said, there's only one crime that I saw being committed on that post, and that was by the farmer. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting if it if it goes to court and what what comes what comes out of it. I mean, I don't think the guy's gonna go see any jail time if he is no. indeed found at fault. If he's found at fault, he's gonna have to. I don't know pay though, for those decoys. Like, what if he? Because there's like a I don't know what it is in the state of Arkansas, but you hit a certain dollar amount of like destructive property and you hit a certain Yeah, it's like ten thousand bucks is a felony, I think. Like theft yeah, wise who knows, anyways. Yeah, who knows what it is like for destruction and who knows what it is in Arkansas. But uh he's probably close. <laughs> I, I, that was a pretty decent spread. I would say there was ten grand worth of decoys out there pretty safely. Right, right. And like whether you owe, whether he owed money or not, say he did, say he uh, signed a hundred thousand dollar lease and he hasn't sold the fucking, or he hasn't paid a penny of it, um, you still can't go out there and destroy somebody else's yeah, property. Yeah, because it's pretty easy. Uh, if I can play a lawyer right now without knowing the law, but if I was a movie lawyer, this would be like my pitch. Like if 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 it was about money, why didn't you just go and collect the decoys and sell them? Because they're right. worth a lot, you know, if they're $10,000 $10, worth of decoys, why would you just drive over that? If 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 it's the money was your issue. Well, I don't think theft is legal either. Well, I'm just saying if, if they owed you $300, <laughs> let us say, say they owed you $1,000 for the lease, and but you disked up 10000 in decoys, that kind of shoots a hole through your your uh, argument of they owed me a thousand bucks. Well, then why don't you just, if the decoys are on your land and you say you have a right to destroy them if you want, because they're on your land or you have the the rights because you paid your share of the lease, then why wouldn't you just sell them? Just kick right. them off your land, which that you could do. Um, not allow them to retrieve their equipment. You might be able to legally do that. I'm not sure. And then just put a Craigslist ad and say, come and get them. And, get $5,000 for it without any without any work and now you don't have to worry about disked up pieces of plastic and metal getting caught in your equipment for the next 10 years. Right. Which I feel like it's it's going to bite him in the ass. He's going to have some sort of equipment. It's going to wreck his shit. That's what's going to happen. He's going it's one tire and that was not a good deal for you. Those those uh combine tires are not cheap. So I don't maybe. know. That was my thing. And maybe like, that's that maybe was every maybe what every farmer has ever told us ever is all bullshit about decoy stakes, about ruts. <laughs> well, 
Yeah. I mean, I think there's. I think kidding. I heard him say something like that too, like, "Oh, just fixing these ruts or something he like did. that." He did. He did. Yeah. He did. He said he's just fixing these ruts out here. But um, I think the ruts thing is complete bullshit because I think I, I know enough. Farmers... I know enough about farming that you're disking that rut. Your tires on your tractor are huge. You, t- you tell me you're worried about getting stuck in a truck rut, and your your tire <laughs> is taller than my truck. I, I hunted a field a couple days ago where the guy was like, absolutely no driving out there. You can take ATVs. I was like, okay. So we took ATVs into this complete, this was before the inch of rain that we had. And I was like, God damn, there's a lot of tractor tires out here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like tire marks. <laughs> I wonder how we harvest this field without driving out here. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And I like, what the fuck? It was the same thing. We had a, a migrator set. Uh, hunt set up in uh in the in the fall right and it was an alfalfa field and he's like yeah i don't drive in there okay dude we walked everything in and it was like that ground was hard as concrete like it was we wouldn't have but bruised a leaf and the same day that we're setting up in comes this dually with a big (laughs) flatbed loaded up a bunch of round bales and carted them off (laughs) It's like, but here, what? here's another thing though too. If a farmer tells me in order to hunt his field every 15 minutes I got to do 10 push-ups, I'm doing those push-ups. Exactly. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I always do what I'm told. I don't say, "Oh, we're not going to drive," and then drive in there. That's how you don't get permission, and that's how you ruin permission right. for everybody else. It's, it's like I whatever your here. rules are. Yeah. Your I, rules are your rules on your land are your rules. If you want me to not drive in, if you want me to do 10 push-ups, if you yeah. want to see my penis. <laughs> your rules are your rules, <laughs> even if they're stupid, which doesn't protect you from me talking shit about you while I'm hunting to myself or to my buddies. I'm not going to tell right, you that. Right, that's true. That's but true. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's what we did. You know, We're like, dude, this is like I could be out here on a spiked pogo stick and wouldn't dent this. This, It was, I couldn't, I was like blown away at how hard that ground actually was. And I think it was because it's been dry and hadn't any rain or whatever, but it's like, man, he didn't need to worry about this field. Like good luck rutting this thing up. And then, yeah, then later midway through the morning, here comes that big dually diesel. Like, Oh yeah, careful. You're not supposed to drive in here. Uh, That's funny, but hey, we shot birds that day too and got a band. Nice. Hell yeah. yeah Hell yeah. Day. Way to show them guys. Yeah, take that. Way to make worth made way to make walking in worth it. It really wasn't even that bad of a walk where we set up. It was pretty easy, but it's still one of those things where it's just like this is dumb. <laughs> it was just like this doesn't make any sense. It's hard to I don't know, whatever. It is what it is. We had a good time. We're over it, sort of. But yeah, that that I think that whole fiasco. I hope there's a follow up at some point in time that we can somebody keeps up on that story because I am interested to see how that pans out. I am too. I am interested to see how that pans out. All right, dude. Well, should we wrap this one up? You got any sponsors? Uh, yeah. Check out the Nick Johnson Signature Series Goose Call by Pacific Calls. I was just tuning up a bunch of new guts. Um, for those and they sound excellent um, check out the goose tech app if you're trying to learn how to better blow a short read canada goose call it should be able to help you out at least a little bit it's only 20 bucks um, check out boss ammunition that'll help you out getting a few less cripples 
a few more birds in your bag. And that's about all I got. And uh, brought to you by Cherry Flavored Whiskey. Check out, um, oh yeah, <laughs> definitely check out Red Stag, uh, Jim Bean Red Stag, and Fresca. Uh, each bottle comes with a one-year subscription of Lavender Magazine. What's Lavender? Uh, I've heard it's a gay magazine. Oh. Gosh. Yeah, I, I, you, made, you made me explain the joke. Jokes are never funny if you have to explain them. Well, I've never heard of Lavender fucking magazine. <sighs> Somebody at some point in time has had to have used that as a rip. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> I'm going to have to check out this Lavender magazine. I'm going to go do some deep <clears throat> research now. As if he doesn't already subscribe. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> good one, Nick. Good cover. Uh, right. All right, dude. That was fun. All right. Well, uh, go kill some birds. When, when are you going to be back in action? Do you know? I don't know. I've got an eye doctor appointment on Friday at 8 a.m. My truck is going into the shop tomorrow oh, at 1 p.m. Yeah, dude. I'm a fucking mess. Oh, I'm my drunk God. now. All right. Pour a double. Let's go. All right, dude. Well, uh, hope, well if you're still injured next week, we'll do it again. <laughs> all right, man. Well, actually, I should be home by next Wednesday. Oh, okay. Oh, you're all wrapped up. All right. Cool. All right, man. We'll chat with you then. Later, dude. Later. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.